Hi there. This week, we're talking all about building multi-university collaborations. And I'm generally talking in this context, not so much about the collaboration that you might strike up with another researcher who happens to be in a different university, or that could fit into this category. But generally, I'm talking about the kinds of collaborations that end up, you know, um, needing lots and lots of potential support from uh, your university legal and finance area. Perhaps it's a collaboration that's set up because a local government said we want all of these universities in our state or in our region to work together. Uh, perhaps it's a big collaboration that spans different countries and continents. They're the kinds of collaborations that I'm talking about here with these uh, multi-university collaborations. So the first thing that I would say about this is that um, industry partnerships and university partnerships are both a lot like marriages and university partnerships can sometimes be a bit like an arranged marriage and I'll get to that uh, shortly. So just a couple of things. Uh, my name is Dr. Richard Heisman. If you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, I'd love if you did that. Uh, otherwise, if you're connected on LinkedIn, perhaps Twitter or Instagram might give you some more insights into what it is that I do and how I do it, and perhaps even help you to become a better researcher and make the most of your career. So just Google Dr. Richard Heisman's, and I'm sure you'll find it. Just some housekeeping as per usual, we're recording. This will be up on YouTube and, and on my podcast. If you haven't seen those things, head to my website and go to the uh, resources section and they're all uh, located there. Participation is key. So if you're watching this back or listening to it and you want, to, want me to speed up or slow down, you'll have to manage that via your own recording. But of course, if you're here live, yeah, please open up your mic or um, open up your video if and when you want to talk. All the information that you'll see in here is mine unless I state otherwise. Uh, and so I'd really appreciate it if you did share it with other people that you just at least tagged me in it. I don't mind you reusing it. Uh, just like I said, acknowledge that the source uh, is me. And you can just do that, like I said, by tagging me or um, mentioning me in the post that you make or including my logo if it's on the slide or whatever that you're sharing. Uh, so into the workshop. So like I said, I think industry engagement, university collaboration, they're all a bit like arranged marriages. So I think the university to university collaboration in the kinds of ones that I've been involved with, and again, I'm talking about big ones here. So I'm talking about, you know, um, seven, eight, nine, ten universities all coming together is generally speaking, they started out by um, the parent, in this case, senior university management, thinking that it's a good idea. They'll um, Then they'll meet. They'll agree that they've got some mutual interests or that perhaps the, the notion of working together is appropriate and then off they go with the uh, project. Multi generally speaking, these university to university collaborations are big. Like I said, the ones that I've been involved with have been between five and 10 universities participating. So, you know, the idea of monogamy in this instance is not there. It's all about working together and um, for, in most cases, the common good. Uh, just like marriage, it takes lots of time and effort to get going and communication is the key to success. Uh, and just like marriage, previous experience doesn't imply future success and some will end despite our best efforts and best intentions. And some will keep going despite what might look like, uh, a, you know, poor, um, poor reason to continue. Um, in those instances, if you're involved in one of those kinds of uh, collaborations, I, I strongly encourage you to communicate that with the people you know, at your university who are in charge of the collaboration and let them know that the collaboration not necessarily isn't working, but not 
achieving its intended outcomes and that might be a good reason to stop it because there's nothing you know we all have the same amount of time and there's nothing worse than wasting time on meetings and um, work that is uh, not going to add any value to anyone uh, i think so in a slide that i made about um industry university collaborations there are three things that have been found to have impact on a industry partnership that's personal trust shared vision and values and a mutual understanding between partners and i think those three things track really well across to these university to university collaborations the people definitely need to trust each other you definitely need to have a shared goal or a shared reason for coming together um, just because you both have departments of anatomy or departments of medicine or departments of it doesn't mean you necessarily should you need to have shared vision and values around how those things should operate and function within your university. Um, and then obviously you need a mutual understanding about how all of this is going to get done. And a lot of this, the shared vision and values and the mutual understanding often is communicated via lots and lots of paperwork. Um, and that can be a bit tedious as well, but ultimately these things, if they're kept brief, they will allow you to revisit them. They will allow you to go, oh, is our collaboration working? Let's revisit what we wrote down originally. Oh, yep, it is. Oh, actually, no, it's shifted away. So does that mean we need to change what our understanding is? Does that need to mean we need to change what our vision and values are for the project? That'll be something that you need to decide, but having them documented can certainly help you. Um, I think there are four things that need to um, are needed for success for the people that are involved in the project. Um, so the first of all, and this generally comes from what I would consider to be the project champion, you need someone with authority to make it all happen, to perhaps bind the university to the collaboration, to bind the organization to collaboration. So that's the authority bit. The next thing is the capacity. Um, and even, and to be honest, all the next three things, the cap, the capacity, the capability and the activity, generally speaking, come down to people closer to what you might call the coal face. So the capacity is, you know, do they have the ability to um, do the work or be, be, to perform their part in the collaboration? Have they got the time? Have they got the wherewithal to do it? The next is the capability. Does that university actually have the capability that they say they do? Do they have the expertise that they say they do? Or do they have the equipment that they say they do? Do they have the setup that they say they do? Do they have whatever it might be that they say they do? And next of all is, so you've got the capability, you've got the capacity. The next is the activity. You need people who are going to get on and get things done. Now, I've never met a researcher or an academic who says, I've got a spare, um, you know, I'm only working at 80% capacity. I've got a spare 20% capacity. So, you know, finding someone with the activity or with opportunity to do activity is going to be difficult. Uh, and that often comes down to enthusiasm. And again, this authority idea, does the person, you know, at that university or at your university um, give you permission to perhaps stop some other activity in order that you can be focused on the collaboration or focused on the activities that are part of the collaboration, or maybe it's focused on contributing to the collaboration because in some instances, contributing to the collaboration will actually um, detract from what you might consider to be your business's 
as usual or your reason for being. Um, and so these are all important discussions to have with the person who's responsible for the collaboration at your university. And also to have these chats with other people who are occupying the same or similar roles at other universities, you know, how are they going? How are they feeling all of this is being handled and is it adding value? And, you know, could you all work together and go to your collective senior administrators and say, you know, um, you're asking us to do this, but you're also asking us to do a bunch of other things that aren't fitting with this collaboration or prevent us from making the collaboration the success it could be. So um, let's address those workload issues. Uh, the next thing that I think in terms of the similarities between uh, university to university collaborations and industry to university collaborations is these barriers. So I think all six of these barriers are present in university to university collaborations. And obviously, well, technically there's five here given IP and contracts are listed on both sides. And that is a massive thing in university to university collaborations. I've been involved in collaborations where it's taken two years to essentially get the collaboration agreement signed. And during that two years, the collaboration still operated. We still did everything that we wanted to do. We still went out and connected with people. We still created content. We still created resources. We still added value. And so I would argue in that instance, maybe the contract that we were trying to get signed, maybe the contract that was trying to be developed was actually not fit for purpose. It didn't meet the requirements because it did take so long to get signed. Um, and I think sometimes that we don't communicate well enough with our IP, with our intellectual property people, with our legal team, because in a lot of cases, these university to university collaborations, they're not going to be necessarily generating IP. The work that results from the collaboration, the collaboration itself won't. And there'll be lots of other agreements and, and legal structures that cover intellectual property in those instances. And maybe that could be a reason why um, you could perhaps, you know, massively reduce the contract that you write so you can move more quickly in those instances. I think in all cases, university metrics are a barrier and, and a simultaneously a facilitator. If the metrics that you have from your university mean that um, these big collaborations aren't seen as valuable, then it's going to be a barrier. But if they are seen as valuable, if they're measured well, then maybe it's a facilitator. And from my experience um, in terms of the metric side of things, let's say, for example, it, your university to university collaboration is, you know, happening at the level of the, an entire state, collecting metrics about the collaboration can be really useful when it comes to reporting back to your, the governments of that state and even the national governments uh, around the value that the collaboration had. And they might be more willing in that instance, if you've collected some good data about the impact of the collaboration, they might be more willing to fund future collaborations or fund some support or, um, you know, provide um, in-kind support in some way or not or other. Um, you know, matching requirements, I've already talked about that. Different timescales are really interesting. Um, I think universities tend to have a general agreement about different timescales, but I think sometimes people can join a collaboration or participate in a collaboration uh, not expecting it to last very long or they can join a collaboration expecting it might go for years. And I think those expectations are probably more what needs to be met and managed than having different timescales per se. Now, in terms of what I've seen about why you might create a university to university collaboration, the very obvious and first one is to actually do research. So there are plenty of schemes out there that encourage um, big collaborations. And like most of the ones that I've been involved in, the starting point is money. 
Um, the next is impact to change people's lives or to have better research. And definitely, again, that's probably from my experience, the second most popular reason why collaboration has happened. The third reason that I've seen is um, for resources. So to get better data, to get access to different equipment, to perhaps scale that equipment. And I've seen um, entities that have come together around money, then shift to a resources focus. Again, I think that fits nicely in the with the idea of saving money and making money um, to have shared resources or to have perhaps have common protocols or common access agreements uh, and that's been particularly uh, evident in the work that I've done around um, organizations coming together to share infrastructure particularly big bits of infrastructure that you know um, government funding schemes might only fund one or two in an entire state or an entire country but you know researchers from all universities want to get access to those things and the final thing is a bit obvious and i think this this expertise idea is generally more down at the individual level and you know these smaller scales collaborations but you might find that universities want to collaborate uh, in a big scale uh, in order to exchange expertise um some of the things that I see happen in terms of the different groups that are involved. So I think legal and finance are always going to be involved. That's just the way that universities work. They want to do things like protect IP, manage income, make sure they get a return on investment, you know, help, hopefully their university gets a competitive advantage, manage contracts. And so your you have to meet with them. I think a lot of researchers think that their IP and legal teams or their finance and legal teams are, you know, you know, a, a pain to their existence and they always get in the way. And that may well be true, but I think we can help them move out of our way by giving them better instruction, by being more engaged with them, by sitting down and actually chatting with them rather than just providing them with, you know, the full grant that they then need to go through and work out. So I think they're some of the things that you can focus on from a legal and finance perspective. In terms of the other partners, again, you need to understand why they're involved and what return on investment looks like to them. You need to understand what they're expecting for progress, you know, how long they can be in the game. Do they want to get publications out of this? Do they want to get income out of this? Do they want to get access to your infrastructure? Understanding their goals and delivering against their goals will help the partnership continue longer. From your own perspective, you know, what do you want to get out of this? I don't think we, I think we kind of go into these kinds of collaborations with an intuitive understanding of this rather than a, a stated understanding or a stated reason for being involved. So I think your effort should be, you know, um, communicating your goals with your partner, understanding your own goals, um, make sure that your goals are included in contracts, um, offer of them opportunities to be on papers, etc. Um, all those kinds of things, you know, you, knowing what's important to you and how you can del deliver on that, it was going to be really important to um, communicate to your other partners. Now, senior academics I've included in this because, like I said, I think a lot of the collaborations that are multi-university start at the senior academic levels, you know, start at like the provost or the dean or the, the vice chancellor level. Um, and so their focus is going to be things on economies of scale, information exchange, definitely their reputation, both in the context of the university, but also their reputation as a senior academic. And so if you can get to understand why they want this to work, you know, how they want it to work, um, know um, they'll, they'll be senior academics at, you know, 
every single university and they'll all have their own different understandings of what these requirements are. So, you know, when you coordinate with your peers, you know, encourage them to understand what their senior academics want from everything as well, I think is really important too. Um, and I've seen, you know, initiatives fail because senior academics aren't sufficiently engaged uh, in the process because, you know, um, participants haven't communicated value with them and to them. So some things to think about as you're establishing your collaboration is what sort of culture do you want to um, set up? So, you know, do we want an open sharing culture or are we going to keep it a bit closed down, a bit protected? Everything needs to go, you know, dot I's and cross T's before we go there. And I think researchers tended to be a bit conservative in the way that it progresses. Uh, and I, you know, my advice, and certainly when I've talked to people about intellectual property, I think we, we've, in Australia anyway, we started off not really caring about it and not protecting it um, effectively. And now I think we might even have gone the other direction. You know, everything that we do or say, we think there might be an opportunity to protect it and commercialize it. And as a result, we, you know, we disappear from this idea generally of sharing and being collegiate. So I think you need to work out what the culture is that you're going to create for your entity and how you will foster that culture. What, tools will you use to collaborate and you know for example if you're on a video conference because you know that's the way that the easiest way to connect with people are you going to encourage all of them to participate in every meeting or is it optional um for visit for these video conferences as well do you want people to have their mic open do you want people to have their audio um their video open um, and what does that do for sharing and, and creating a culture of openness? Are you going to create, a sh you know, if we move on to data and um, sharing and management, are you going to create a network drive that they connect to? Are you going to share using other cloud tools? What does using those tools mean for people who are in the collaboration? Does it mean that they can't get access to information because their university doesn't use that tool? Does it mean that, you know, you have to go to your IT department and set up a new sharing tool that, you know, can somehow be authenticated with other university users? All these issues around culture and sharing can help set the um, collaboration up for successful failure and even more so if you want to grow the collaboration so again i've been involved in entities where we started off with a small number and we've looked to grow it then when you add new organizations in your the activities that you did previously might not fit uh, into the future it doesn't mean that you have to think about scaling every time but it does mean you need to think about when you add a new organization in how is that going to change the culture or how can we let them know what our culture is how can we get them to understand our cultural norms and in some cases it might be a revisiting of pretty much everything in order that you can um, get them into your culture um, finally i think it's i think i touched on this earlier is if you want this to succeed, if you want it to um, continue to be funded, whether that be by internal funding from your university or external funding from a granting body, you need to do three things, which is to measure, to monitor, and to communicate. So obviously you need to measure what you're doing and very few of these university collaborations understand their baseline activity, mainly because they get started somewhat organically. And then you know, a year later we go, oh, actually it would have been really good to know what we were doing before all of this started. Um, but even more so once you get started, a lot of organizations don't monitor what they do. A lot of, you know, we get, 
um, distracted by what you might call busy work. Oh, should we have a um, website? Should we have a Twitter page? Should we have a newsletter? When we haven't even started to talk about what it is that we're actually going to do, how we're going to bring people together or how we're going to change the way we operate or how we're going to change the way someone else operates. So continual monitoring of these things is really important. And then finally, communicate those successes that, you know, that might be when it comes time to create a newsletter or create a website or create a Twitter page. But what I've found really effective is to, if you're, again, these multi-university collaborations generally um, have a relationship with government is to work out who the government entity is that you need to communicate to and engage them, let them know that you're, um, forming the collaboration, let them know that you've had these um, changes or impacts or wins, let them know that you have um, been able to change culture or whatever it is that you've done. Communicating with your government um, funders is really important in these cases. It can encourage them to fund you into the future. And certainly knowing that you're somewhat self-sufficient before going to the government for money will show that your universities have got skin in the game, that they're keen to participate and that if the government funds it, it'll be money that the government um, can be proud of spending and talking about as well. And so they can help you communicate to the wider public about how awesome your university collaboration is. So there you have it, some quick tips around university to university collaborations. If you want more information or if you wanted to discuss this further, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm starting group coaching uh, at the end of the month, 31st of August. It's $1,200. I'd love you to be involved. If you don't know what coaching is or don't know what group coaching is, uh, send me an email, richard.heismans at drrichardheismans.com and I'll give you all the details and I'll even give you a complimentary one-to-one -one session. Uh, just send me an email or type in the chat box and I'll get that sorted uh, for you. As usual, lots of free things. So if you want a copy of my book, um, write me an email and, tell, and say, Richard, I'd like a copy of your book. If you want complimentary coaching, send me an email and let me know about coaching. Uh, I have a LinkedIn program that is about helping researchers translate uh, their research into impact using LinkedIn. Uh, if that's something that you want to be part of or want to get access to, shoot me an email and I'll get you complimentary access to those things. Every week I do something like this. So this week, like I said, it's all about university collaboration. Coming up next week, we're going to be looking at um, university ranking schemes. Then the week after, we'll look at um, taking advantage of them, how you as an individual researcher can use them. Um, then we'll look at doing more with grant money. Uh, if you like this and you want to do, read or see more or watch more or listen to more, uh, I've done one on industry engagement. I've done one on finding industry partners. I've looked at social media to translate your research. Those all might be interesting to you. As always, have a good time. If you need to get reach out to me, my details again at Richard Heisman's on Twitter, at Dr. Richard Heisman's on Instagram, Richard Heisman's on LinkedIn as well. Email me, phone me 0412 uh, Send me an SMS and I'll we'll have a chat or even just pick up the phone and give me a call. As always, thanks and see you next week.